This is the Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Christian community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz. My guests today are Charles Moore and Rick Burke from the Columbine House in Denver, which is a part of the Bruderhof movement. Hi, Charles and Rick. I'm so glad to have you joining us today. Thank you, Malcolm. We look forward to um, the time together. Yeah, greetings, Malcolm. Um, Before we discuss more your personal experience with community for our listeners who might not have heard of the Bruderhof uh, movement. Could you just tell us a little bit about the history and backstory of the Bruderhof? Sure. The, the Bruderhof community began in 1920 in Germany, um, partly in response um, to um, the aftermath of, of World War I. And it was um, <clears throat> a group of younger people who uh, were tired of the hypocrisy of the established church that baptized the war and also seemed to baptize the disparity between rich and poor and out of a longing to put uh, Jesus's teachings um, into practice, especially the Sermon on the Mount, a community was was formed, inspired very much too by the what we read in, in Acts chapters two and four, um, how the spirit came upon the first Christians and united them so deeply that they shared everything in common. Um, Because of the commitment to uh, the nonviolent way of Jesus and and the way of the cross, um, as you can imagine, when Hitler came to power, there was a collision. The community was forced out of Germany, made their way to England. um, But when the war broke out, the, the British... Uh, wanted to intern the the German members of the community in England. And um, so the the British members of the community refused to be separated. And so eventually um, Britain uh, gave them free passage to anywhere on the globe that would take a German and British community. Um, And uh, eventually they made their way to to Paraguay. And then... um, uh, near the end of the 1950s, um, the community closed down in Paraguay and uh, started uh, new communities in the United States, eventually in England. Um, and now we're in uh, Germany and Australia, back in South America, uh, Korea. Korea. So I think we have close to 30 communities. And um, what sets us apart essentially is that we are committed um, as brothers and sisters to follow Jesus together in a life, uh, a real complete shared life. So we live together, we work together, we worship together, um, we do mission together, we don't hold any private property, uh, we share all things together as in an extended family uh, based on um, who Jesus is and our, our conviction that uh, we are to put his kingdom first above everything and and really demonstrate what that kingdom could be like here on earth. Thanks, Charles. It's a, a very inspiring story, really, of the, the origin of the Bruderhof. Um, what, uh, you know, you, you touched on a couple of things that marked the Bruderhof spirituality, pacifism, the communal way of life. Is there anything else that's really key to the, the Bruderhof spirituality? I think um, the whole notion of being completely surrendered to the way of Christ and holding nothing back, there's this um, 
feeling that um, if we're going to be disciples, that um, every facet of life needs to be set apart, um, made holy by letting Jesus be truly Lord. And that means surrendering our own private agendas, um, our own personal ambitions to that greater cause, the kingdom of God. And to do that with brothers and sisters, it's not a solitary um, call. It's a call to embody God's rule and reign, his kingdom, together with brothers and sisters here. And it, it really means a, a total surrender of everything we have and everything we are. I don't know, Rick, you have anything to add? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, when you asked the question that this aspect of Jesus is Lord and is really important and vital for us that we follow his way and we love his way. There's something deeper than, you know, deciding to be a Christian, but also, you know, really loving the way of Jesus and, and allowing ourselves to trust and live in that faith that he will provide for us. And also that in a way that we, we try to love, love our neighbors as ourselves. So that that does kind of um, address the economic side of life too, um, where we all give our gifts that God has given us, our capabilities in service of the furtherance of, of his kingdom. We're a weak attempt at trying to live the church um, what we feel Jesus wanted the church to be um, when he showed us um, his love on the cross. Um, he showed us that way. He said, love one another as I have loved you. And um, we're just trying to do that um, in our weakness together and help one another. It's really important that, you know, how can we say we love God <clears throat> whom we don't see as Apostle John says in, in 1 John, if we don't love our brother whom we do see, and that takes on very practical expressions. In fact, in 1 John, it, um, it, it talks about the importance of materially supplying one another's needs uh, as a practical expression of love. Yes, I've always... Uh... I don't remember who said it, but there's a quote from a spiritual writer who says that the reason that it's so important to love one's neighbor as oneself and why that's so connected to the love of God is that it can be easy to fool oneself that one's loving God. You know, he isn't yeah. actually right there in front of you putting a direct demand Absolutely. on you. And yeah. but it's harder to harder to get around the question of whether one's loving uh, one's brother or not, especially since the Bible, as you said, it doesn't allow for just saying, well, you know, like I have loving feelings for them in my heart. You know, that, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> exactly. One, one scripture that um, always kind of struck me was, again, and this one is in 1 John uh, 4.12, where um, it says no one has ever seen God, but, and that word but is pretty important. It says, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And, you know, whatever, num you know, years ago as a young Christian um, and, and seeking that answer to that, it did um, point in this direction of, of a, a life together where we can, we can see God 
in one another and that he can live in us and, and make his loving complete. And that's the kind of witness that, you know, we, um, I want to, you know, live each day. So, I mean, that's pretty profound. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another. Yes, that is important because one of the themes I've covered on this podcast before is that uh, some Christians can discuss intentional community as if it's the opposite of evangelizing. So like, you know, like there's going out to the world or there's building a community. But in reality, the Christian message is Christ, who is the word of God. It isn't just a bunch of words. And the only way the world can see Christ, can see the message, is if they see it in us. And it's not something that we could just say to people. It's something we have to be, be the message. Yeah, we are the message. What Jesus is saying, you know, the world will recognize us by our love one for another. And then in his prayer uh, for unity, um, for all those who believe on, on him, um, again, he emphasizes that it's by this unity that the world would know that Jesus sent us into the world. And what does that unity look like? We often just over-spiritualize that, you know, that we have some kind of spiritual unity or theological unity, but he describes the unity, the kind of unity that he and the Father um, had. And that took on very visible um, expression on, on earth. And I, I'm convinced that... Um, uh, when we read in Acts 2 and 4, it says that they were of one mind, heart, soul. No one considered anything um, as their own. That was the beginning of the answer to that prayer of Jesus, of Jesus, his prayer for unity. And so for us, we simply want to be an answer to Jesus's prayer. Yes, if if we consider things to be our own in such a way that we won't give them to a brother in need, then obviously we don't see that fellow Christian as part of one body with us in Christ, as we're supposed to see, you know, like imagine in the body, if one hand got injured and the other hand was like, well, you know, like that's your problem. I'm busy, you know, yep. um, that would be pretty crazy, but that's kind of what it has often boiled down to that. We're not fully living it out. If we, you know, if we see the things we have as so much ours that they can't also be our neighbors. One uh, question about the Bruderhof that I'd like to uh, talk about a little bit is how is the overall organization uh, structured? I know there's a bunch of different communities. What is the interaction and um, how, 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 how structured is the overall entity? That's a good question. I mean, each community um, is a life of its own. And, uh, and yet one of our vows that we take is that we're, um, we are ready and willing to serve wherever there is a need in the larger body of Christ. Um, first, in the community that we're in, that we're willing to serve wherever is needed, but that we also are available to help build up other communities or serve in um, whatever capacity. And so there's a lot of interaction between 
different communities, quite a bit of moving around when there are different needs that arise. Um, and, and that usually is um, less organized as more as needs arise and it's communicated. So there's a lot of communication back and forth between communities so that we are aware of each other's needs and then we could help supply those needs. If it's a new building gonna be built and there's a need for an additional plumber, that's known. And so then we can um, figure out how maybe to release um, a brother or a family for a period of time to, to, to help out depending on you know where and so forth. So there's a lot of um, communicating back and forth. Um, and you use the word organization. And of course, if we want to work together, there has to be organizing, but it's, it's not so formalistic as like in a corporation or business. Um, and any decisions that really affect a lot of communities or all the communities, we'll discuss together. We'll, we'll have a conference call and because we want to make sure that we're all um, on the same page and have uh, a united feeling. So sometimes our decisions just take time um, to ponder and, and discuss um, together. Yeah, thanks, uh, Charles. That helps to you know, give a better picture of the entity. Um, and so then the two of you, uh, what are your personal stories? How did you end up joining the Bruderhof? Uh, I know, uh, Charles, you mentioned that you'd belong to other communities before joining the Bruderhof and any kind of uh, contrast or comparison might also be interesting to hear about. Well, in a way, um, both Rick and myself uh, have, in a way, somewhat of a similar story, but also very, very different. So maybe I'll let Rick um, share um, his story a bit and then um, I can chime in. Yeah, we, um, my wife and I had two children, um, and we moved into a, a really, we had a conversion experience that um, really caused us to kind of look at this, how are we going to follow this Jesus who, who did so much for us? And we, as we read through the Gospels, just felt in order to live a, a life that, um, you know, also with the Sermon on the Mount where do not worry about what you're going to eat, drink, or wear. We had to be willing to, to um, you know, live a life that, that really lived by faith. Um, but we also really felt that the church um, was not a building or, you know, a denomination, but rather a living organism and when we sought for other brothers and sisters who would feel the same way about that um well you know we were we had a career ahead of us and you know you know our careers ahead of us and you know, probably could have followed a, a traditional path of, you know, get the American dream. And, a, and we actually did. We had, a you know, our home. And, but we were just feeling like if we were going to live our lives um, loving this way of Jesus, that 
it would be a life of faith and trust that he would provide for us. And we did find some, you know, another, um, some other brothers and sisters um, in another town away from where we, we were actually living. And we moved in with them. And we lived in the context of a, um, a non-denominational fellowship. And part of it, you know, some people lived and came to gather with us. And we ended up living in a community house together. And during in that time, this was back in the, the late 1980s, and we um, got to know the Bruderhof um, basically because of researching the Anabaptist history and how those brothers and sisters back in those days fought for a renewal in the church. And we were really inspired by that. And we found these brothers and sisters in the, they were living in the, the communities called Bruderhof um, to be kindred spirits with us. And so that was our little community. I like to refer to it as we joined together with the Bruderhof and made ourselves available in the sense, like Char Charles said, that we want to be available to any community where, where there are these needs. Um, and so that's what we're still doing today, many years later. Yeah, so for myself um, and my wife, well, my, my search to, to what, what does it mean to be the church together? What, what does it mean to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand was, came very early on in my experience. I converted in the Jesus movement at, at age 17. And uh, so by the time I uh, moved from California, where I was born and raised, went to college, um, I came to Colorado and uh, went to seminary and then later returned to that seminary um, to teach, which I um, was at for eight years as a professor. Um, there were um, a number of people that um, uh, we met that were dissatisfied with the traditional understanding of the church, um, which was worship on Sunday and maybe Bible study in the middle of the week. We, we wanted to, our careers to be Christ, following Christ. That would be our career and to follow Christ together with others. And a small little community formed in downtown Denver and Capitol Hill, about 20 people. It, it was in flux um, uh, over about a five, six year period. And it, it became clear to us um, and eventually to all of us that there wasn't really the commitment to go the long haul and there was not the commitment to really throw everything in. So it dissolved um, peaceably. And by that, that point, I felt um, increasingly uneasy teaching at the, at, at the seminary things that I couldn't live out. All during that time, I was aware of the Bruderhof community. I'd read some books from the Plow Publishing and had a chance to visit. Um, and uh, uh, once the community in Denver ended, um, you know, my wife and I, she was a school teacher. We had everything. We, we had so many opportunities ahead of us, but we felt that they were a distraction um, from the, the thing that we really felt uh, needed to be demonstrated on this earth, 
that there could be a, a new political, a new religion, uh, uh, relational, um, social, um, economic, spiritual order um, that had hands and feet, um, real visible hands and feet 24 seven. And we felt this call to um, leave everything um, and to join with the brothers and sisters in, in the Bruderhof community. We knew it wasn't perfect. We weren't looking for a perfect place. We were not looking to move from Colorado because we loved being here, but we felt out of obedience um, to our convictions and to the leading of the spirit, uh, we needed to um, drop everything, let down our nets again, and join with others who um, we felt um, had that same vision that we did uh, for the kingdom of God. So that was 30 years ago. Um, yeah, in the early 90s. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing your stories. Very uh, inspiring. Can you tell us a little bit about what uh, daily life is like in a Bruderhof community in, in your experience? It's very difficult in a few words. If, if people really would like to get a little glimpse, you know, our website um, just gives all kinds of glimpses into kind of the rhythms and different things in, uh, in, in our community, anywhere from family life to the kind of work we do and so forth. You know, if I had to boil it down is, you know, our commitment to serve. Um, Jesus said to pick up the towel. I, pick, I picked up the towel and wash feet and it's brothers and sisters ready and willing to serve um, where there's a need so that a common life of unity, of justice, of love, of peace can really be, be built up. Whether it's a large community of 300 to a smaller community, um, you know, that, that is what we're about. And, um, you know, there are some common rhythms we meet throughout the week, um, uh, sometimes in the middle of the day or in the evening, we share our meals together. We also have, um, meals just in our family and there's a variety of different tasks, but, um, I, you know, it, the best thing would be for somebody to just come and visit um, and if they can't, you know, you can get a little bit of an insight through, through our website. Yeah, I, I get that, that, you know, it can be difficult, you know, describing something as, uh, as immersive as daily life. I guess one of the questions that I would have is how, you know, you mentioned eating meals together, but then also sometimes eating meals as a family group. And one of the things I've heard from people who have experienced community is that it can be difficult to integrate family life with community life, that there can be a tension there. And I'm just uh, curious as to how the Bruderhof uh, manages that uh, distinction between, you know, what happens with a family unit to what happens with the bigger community, how much, how much private space uh, there is around individuals or families within the community. Well, I think it's really important that the, natural family there's that's inter, um, integrated into the, the community um, and as a matter of um, honoring the integrity of of both but as families we know that we're a part of something bigger and we're a part of something of higher priority it doesn't mean family doesn't have a priority um, and children are really important. You know, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. 
um, you know, they're the closest to the kingdom. So it's really vital that the children are a part of the community, that they see beyond their own nuclear family, um, that they feel a part of something greater. But we also try to make sure that that's not at the expense of the sacredness or the sanctity of the family um, given to a, a father and a mother. Um, and yeah, there's sometimes there is tension. There's also tension between the individual and community. You know, one might want or need more private time and others less so. Um, hopefully the tension is though a creative one rather than, you know, one that <laughs> is a negative tension. Um, and we try to be sensitive. You know, some families have more children than less and their needs um, are, are greater. Uh, there's older people um, and singles. And we all have different needs. And, you know, our commitment is to give as much as we are able. And we try to uh, be sensitive to that. Um, yeah, Rick? Yeah. Um, you know, God made families. And... We respect that, and you know it's a bit of almost a bit of a paradox too. You know, Jesus said, "You know, who are um, you know who are my brothers and sisters?" And we need to keep asking ourselves that: who is our family? Who is my mother? Um, that we we include others, but we recognize the need for families to have a cohesive um, experience. We don't try to put people in settings where you know that. Um, is diluted in any way the father and mother's responsibility for their children. Um, but we share that response or we try to help them and support them um, in that responsibility um, as needed. Um, but I know Charles, you know, Charles mentioned singles. Um, you know, we, we try to include singles who don't have a family um, in families so that they can, um, you know, feel apart, they can be loved. Um, so those things are very important. I think, you know, I can imagine some community settings being stressful for families, um, you know, how housing is set up and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think our family has been in a, in a setting like that early on when, when we didn't have a lot. And I know that um, members of of the Bruderoff community when, when it was in Paraguay, especially had, you know, very, you know, the housing was, was not great. And I'm sure that was a great challenge for them. We feel very blessed um, today to, to have what we do have. Seems the common theme that comes up when I talk to community members is that it, it can be difficult and that of course there can be two ways of, of failing it, that the families can be two separate um, but at the same time, like the community could get too overbearing, you know, um, what, uh, is, is there any s stories you'd like to share that kind of show like the, the possibilities of, uh, community life? Because I think one of the problems in today's world is that a lot of Christians just can't really imagine what it would be like to live in a community or why it would be so desirable. At least for me, it's pretty hard to, I know what you're getting at, but it's really hard to respond. Um, really hard to tell um, stories, um, it, you know, in, in not in the abstract, but in general, 
um, you know, if talking with a specific person and um, in a conversation, that's when for me, I can tell a specific story that might really, um, you know, connect with them. But, but I would say this, I will say this, I, I grew up in an upper middle class home. I was bred as a male that needed to be educated, self-sufficient and successful. Um, and so that's in my DNA. That's how I was raised. So there isn't anything in my natural bone towards a common life together. You know, it, I, I could be successful, you know, on my own. And so it's out of obedience to the gospel of what I understand the great story of God and his plan in history that I want to respond to. And that's what has driven me to find other brothers and sisters who want to do that together. And community is a part of it, but it's not the whole of it. You know, it's, it's, it wasn't that I'm looking for a community lifestyle. It's this is how I best can be obedient to the faith that I understand um, um, in the Gospels. As we're talking about this, I, I just keep thinking about the children. And my wife and I now have grandchildren, and we're watching them grow up. And they live in community. And for them, it's a very it's very natural. So for my wife and I, we didn't start living in community until we were 25 years old. And um, I, it's interesting because I sometimes struggle with the whole idea of intentional community. And I realize that probably for the average American, you probably have to be pretty intentional about it. Um, but I sometimes think of it more in like it's a resultant community. Um, it's the community's not like the focus in the sense. It's like if we focus ourselves on Jesus and his love, the result of that will be this, this life together. And it can be, it doesn't necessarily look like um, a 300 person Bruderhof type, um, you know, community, it could be in an urban setting or whatever, I, I think. But when you look at the children, like I, I see my, you know, grandchildren now, where this is just very natural for them. And um, this of being immersed in, in, in a, you know, an environment where our, our longing is, is to serve King Jesus and to, um, try as best we can to have that same kind of love and let his spirit, um, um, dwell in us. So anyways, I, it's, I probably, some people listening to this don't live in, you know, a, a community and or can't imagine it um i think one of the things possibly you know if they have a chance to be in a community where there are children um sometimes children are able to embrace it a lot easier than um adults who make things really complicated <laughs> so anyway. that's uh rick that's interesting because uh well for two reasons one to me is that even just on a natural level um you know, before the modern era, human beings, whether Christian or not, have always lived in community. You know, it wasn't like an intentional thing. It's just the way uh, humans are and that, you know, God took that natural 
um, impulse of community and raised it up to a higher uh, spiritual level in the Christian faith. So that if you went to any, you know, community in the past uh, that was living a fairly, you know, tightly integrated life with one another, and you said, started talking about intentional community, uh, they'd probably think you were, you know, kind of strange, Um, you know, like, like intentional family. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or like kind of this American idea, I think, you know, like, okay, like, all right, the problem is we don't have enough community. So now we're going to go fix the problem, you know, like. Uh, done that. I found or built or created a community. And it's like, well, uh, you know, that's that's odd, both from a Christian standpoint and just a natural human uh, standpoint. Yeah. There's a, there's a book that Plow publishes called Another Life is Possible. And there's a lot of stories in there. Speaking of stories that um, might give, you know, help people have better insight about how each individual family or person um, you know, kind of has experienced this journey. And also I think the title, I, I like, I've always liked the title. I mean, it's, it's a relatively new book, but just the idea that, you know, for me as an American kid growing up in upstate New York, it was, I only knew one kind of life and it was, the, you know, the American life. And, you know, we're thankful for, you know, certain ways, the opportunities of freedom we can live um, in community as, as a church, um, in this country. But I also realized that I just, it was beyond my wildest imaginations and anybody lived anything different than that. But I remember visiting, you know, a larger community when with our children and, and our children were like, you know, wow, you know, this is great, you know, and they clicked right in. They had no problems with it. Um, you know, for the most part, they were like, Hey, why don't we stay? Um, you know, they, they felt something, you know, intuitively themselves as children. Um, but this idea that, you know, another life is possible is not, um, as obvious to, or, or maybe not even, you know, hardly even imaginable for most people in America. Um, so all the more, I think we want to try to, you know, make ourselves more porous and available as a community of brothers and sisters um, so that people can see this Jesus love and, and what could be possible in their lives. On that topic of uh, you brought up of avail- being available to the world and also the idea about children, you know, for children, when they grow up um, uh, in community, it's just uh, naturally, you know, like it's the way of life. And that uh, I remember a funny discussion with this guy who uh, just, you know, this is nothing related to do with the faith at all, but it's kind of similar where he said that, you know, like in America, it's considered, you know, taboo to eat insects of any sort, but then in many other cultures it's normal. But if you could convince your children to eat insects for dinner, um, you know, like within one generation, it's just normal. It's not um, uh, strange. And that reminded me of a question that a listener um, brought up he wanted the podcast at a certain point to talk about children in community who will grow up, you know, just seeing the community as natural and in fact is almost inevitable or, you know, like just the way things are and how to uh, make sure they come to a, or whether they do come to a healthy understanding of the surrounding world. Um, Is that, can that be difficult? Um, Being able to be aware of the world and understand it uh, as apart from the community setting. 
Well, I think that's a challenge for anyone anywhere. I mean, I grew up in a lily white upper middle class bedroom community um, outside of San Francisco. Did I understand the world? I didn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I had a very, very narrow view of the world. So I, there are communities that form and they are forming, uh, they form themselves to kind of be against the world or away from the world, um, you know, guarding themselves against the dangers and the, uh, and, uh, of the world and all that. You know, we believe that our task is to be the church in the world for the sake of um, others, um, for the sake of the gospel. And um, so, um, you know, if our children see that we're not just living this life for ourselves, but that we are giving ourselves beyond our community, then they will also encounter the needs and the struggles and the, and the questions and issues that um, many others have to struggle with that maybe we have found an answer to in our life together. Um, so that comes down to uh, parenting. It comes down to the perspective. What is it that, why, why do we live in community? Um, is it based in just familiarity and tradition and this is a subculture or is it rooted in faith, um, in Jesus, in discipleship? Um, a vision of the coming kingdom, which is much greater than any particular community. Um, and so I, I really think that it, it, it's, it's why you live in community. And I think for people who want to live in community because they're just sick and tired of the world, that's not the way of the gospel. One thing we're intentional about is not isolating our children. Um, it's not to say that you know, I, first I thought about the word insulation and in, to insulate them. I think in, in some sense, we do want to keep our kids from, you know, stuff that's really detrimental to them. But ultimately, um, we take a, you know, I guess it's the, the Anabaptist thing. It's an adult um, decision. And every child that grows up in the community will need to make a choice about following Jesus as a encounter the world and we don't presume that if that all of our children are going to make that choice um, they are no different than us um, they're human and following Jesus is a choice they need they will have to, to make that but we're, we're, we're very intentional about um, trying not to have them live and especially as they grow into adulthood, not to be an isolated, in a certain sense, you know, as a sect, you know, where they just can't, you know, if they choose to live outside of, of a community life, then we want them to be in a certain way successful at that, um, if that's what, what they're choosing. Um, we don't want any, you know, if someone doesn't live in a community environment, a young person decides not to. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't feel that they can go and make a difference in the world in, in, in a way that God may call them to. But this decision to follow Jesus um, is something that we don't see um, being made in, uh, you know, in isolation from the world around them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, some people 
definitely one of the motivations I've seen for building community among Christians is uh, an attempt to protect uh, children from uh, the corruption of the world. And it's certainly something I understand because the world is, uh, you know, a very dark place. Not, you know, it always has been, I guess, from the Christian standpoint. But um, uh, so I'm not saying like that's a bad thing, but also at the same time, I see what you're saying that uh, you're, if I understand you right, you're saying that, you know, no matter what you do, uh, the children can't receive the Christian um, calling, can't respond to the Christian calling simply due to community osmosis, that no matter what kind of good, solid background they're given, uh, it has to be a personal choice in the end. Yeah, that's really important. Um, and uh, that's one of the dangers of community. It's one of the dangers of a Christian family that your children can equate the family with their faith, or in our case, equate being able to live effectively in a community with their faith. And it's just not true that conversion is something that um, is decided in the, in the, in the battle of, of the soul and then, and to follow Christ. Um, So, um, yeah, I, I think it's really important that, again, why do we live in community? It is not just to have a different lifestyle than other people, a more wholesome or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's because of our love for Christ and what we are anticipating will come in its fullness uh, when Jesus rules and reigns freely and fully. I think one of the one of the things that, you know, as I've been talking to different people who either have experience with or an interest in community, one of the ways I've formulated for myself to put it is that uh, the community, the Christians living in community is always um, valid or always uh, useful. That if a community is just a response, merely a response to some current you know, social problem or dysfunction, then it will be um, more limited than it should be. That the, you know, like this, if this is a, really is a fundamental part of the Christian message, then it w- should be valid always and everywhere and not overly focused on a particular um, social setting. Yeah, it, it's true. Yep. It's, I think that's well said. And what, what often happens, whether it's community or ministries, you know, they take a social problem and that's what defines them. Um, that is not enough to carry you in the day in and the day out of learning to love one another. Um, because that demands forgiveness. It demands humility. It demands ongoing repentance. We are our own worst enemies. We battle the flesh and we need Jesus to help us overcome that. And, uh, just having um, some social cause to rally around does not address the root issues of what makes our society um, so divided, so estranged, um, so at war um, and uh, disintegrated. So um, you can get a lot of people real fast to join you on a cause, but it, it doesn't last, doesn't have any staying power when it comes to daily love, love one for another. 
That's really beautiful. And it's something I was wondering about. Um, of course, that's uh, to, to my, you know, not being myself from an Anabaptist background, but it seems to me, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that's a big part of the Anabaptist uh, spirituality, that kind of rejection of um, kind of Christianity as social custom or as um, as social norm. Um, but then I've been wrestling with this in my mind because any community that's established, if it's been running for at least a couple of generations like the Bruderhof has, um, does that community, oddly enough, run the risk of recreating that idea of Christianity as a social norm, like you were just touching on, how can, you know, we, we talked a little earlier about the conflict between the concept of community and the concept of intentional. And yet, since every Christian's following of Christ has to be fully intentional and not merely custom, even if customs and traditions can help to support it, how does a community balance that? How does, how is it, does it ensure that it doesn't just become um, customary. That's a million dollar question. It is. And all I can say is let's take it personally. You know, I decided to follow Jesus at age 17. How do I not just have my faith and Christian identity as something that's just customary and habit? And I learn a new language, but it's just, you know, a form. So how how is the substance and the spirit um, to be rediscovered again and again and re-enlivened again and again? And that um, is something that is a struggle in each person and even collectively as a community. And our human tendency is to want to institutionalize, encapsulize, um, capture um, uh, a something that might have been living at one point, but we think that we can capture it. And it's, and, and since we can capture it, it stays alive. And, and that's just a myth. It, and it's not letting the spirit continue. The spirit does give form to life, but that form is, should be because we're growing and our world is changing and all of that, that form um, should be changing all the time. But the substance of our life, which is love, peace, and uh, serving one another in humility and surrender, that is the, the core. And we can't confuse the core with the externals that, that um, come out of that. And, and that's, that takes a lot of honest seeking, a lot of uh, dialogue and willingness to let go of things that might have been good at one point that are no longer serving a function, maybe even a getting in the way of the vibrancy of what our life is to be about. And that's also a personal struggle, you know, but may have really been exciting and working for me as a 17 year old, as a, as a new Christian, um, you know, doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing the same things today. Um, and that is an ongoing search. And when we stop searching and struggling with that, then I think we're dead. Yeah, that's interesting. I know, uh, I remember, and I can't remember where this is from, but someone was saying that if you're preserving something, that thing's obviously dead. I mean, living things yeah. don't get preserved. And even like you can find like a nature preserve that's trying to protect, you know, an endangered species that's 
you know, just hanging on tenuously, like even there, you know, like it's still not, it's not got the fullness of life and vigor that it once had. And that's why it's being preserved that like the, the preservation is like a symptom of something deeply wrong that yeah. uh, has happened. That's a good analogy. Sure is. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, we, we can only be grateful and thankful, you know, for the history that we have as a community, but I don't see anything admirable in it. And, um, you know, uh, that, and that's not why I joined. I did not join the Bruderhof so that I could find a way to keep the Bruderhof going. The Bruderhof is a wineskin and for the spirit. And if that wineskin gets old and the spirit wants to be working anew, then let that be shed. And that's scary because I'll tell you, it's, it's um, you know, my nature is to want to have things definable, controllable, I, you know, all that and kind of um, rely on that rather than um, a, a living faith. Yeah, I think this, um, you know, if you think how important the spirit is and, if, you know, in the New Testament, it's so clear. Um, Nancy and I, my wife, uh, were traveling out here to Colorado for Easter and we started some weeks ago and we're visiting some other communities and it took us through the south and we experienced the winds in a much different way. Um, and I think when, you know, they would come, you know, mighty rushing winds would come, we'd get 60, 70 mile an hour gusts at different places in the Southern United States. And they would come from all different directions. And, and, you know, I think that if you talked about preserving, there's also this thing about packaging it, um, you know, packaging what you've done and saying, um, you know, this is, this is good and it looks this way and we can always do it this way. Um, but the spirit is something much more dynamic and it's not really in our control. Um, the wind will come when it comes and sometimes it's still. And it was, it was, it was something that left an impact on, on us as we traveled. We just, this analogy to the wind. So I think, you know, preserving something, but also trying to contain something or, or package something into a form that that is um, it. That is that that it is a problem. And so, you know, I, I think I agree with Charles, you know, we're, we're really looking forward into the future. We respect and are grateful for things that have happened over the many years of living in community, but um, we are looking for what God wants um, to do going forward. And we try to put our eyes or, or try to be attentive to that um, movement of the, of the spirit and how it, and what it's going to, uh, what it's going to do going forward. And hopefully our eyes are open to see it. We're not in Denver to build a Bruderhof. What we want to do is give testimony and seek with people who want to gather together like the early Christians and live out the love of Christ together. Um, and that will 
that unites us with what gave rise to our community movement, which I hope is still, and I believe is still alive in our community movement. What shape and form it will take is secondary to, is there anybody out there who really believes that um, the spirit wants to gather his people in a substantial, meaningful way to show what is possible in Christ, that the principalities and powers can be overcome that separate people. And um, if we put Jesus in, in the center and that there, it is possible to be brothers and sisters um, uh, on a day in and day out, life on life level. That's a very beautiful way of putting it. And speaking of a you know, real substantial commitment to this, we touched uh, at the beginning on your communal way of life. And one thing I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on is why an economically communal way of life is so important. I mean, we, we talked a bit about how, uh, you know, we should be willing to give up whatever we have if a brother is in need. But the Bruderhof, if I understand it correctly, goes beyond that. And individual Bruderhof members, I've heard, for instance, don't use a money as individuals um, and instead live a communal life uh, with the other members of the group. Why is that so important in, in your way of life in, in building a Christian community? It's because it's important to God. Um, you know, when the kingdom comes, there will not be haves and have-nots. There will not be rich and there will not be poor. Mammon, which actually um, divides us from each other, it also burdens the soul because it distracts us from what things, what, what are eternal things. So how do we say that, you know, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice. Um, how do we demonstrate that, that we don't have to be under the rule um, of mammon and its dictates of acquiring more and more of injustice and the things that give rise to war, which is often when it comes down to it, um, the issue of, of mammon. Um, so it, it, to, me, to me, if you have love one for another, you, what, you would naturally not think of this is mine and that's yours. This is ours together um, as stewards of what God has given us. It's, you know, it's like a husband and wife. You know, if, if we marry, do I, do, do I have to give up mine, Can, uh, you know, to, to marry you? Well, what's the whole point of becoming one flesh so that, you know, things don't divide us? And um, so I feel like it's our way of declaring war against mammon. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon um, at the same time. And all the things that mammon causes, the misery and, and also, you know, the barriers. Um, I can serve an older person in my community. They can be a part of my family and be loved. It's not because I'm earning my living off them. They are really part of our, my family, even if that older person isn't a relative. Um, you know, it's, it's the way of love, really. Does love need money? It seems to me to be in opposition. You know, Jesus 
you know, gave us as this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. You know, every time I think about that, I think, you know, he, he was willing to lay down his whole life. And the, the security, the power of money to, you know, you know, what, how much money do I need? Um, you know, and I, I kind of contrast that to, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, about the lilies of the field and, um, you know, do not worry about what you're going to eat, drink or, or wear. And that does require, you know, a, a, a being willing to step out and, and trust and to know that, you know, brothers and sisters, I'll take care of them and hopefully they'll take care of, you know, take care of me um, and trusting that that's how God does administer that or, you know, or, or deliver that care to his people. And, you know, you think about all the, you know, as people, you know, work all their lives and, and, you know, try to save up enough so that they can die in a nursing home um, alone. You know, that, uh, that kind of saving up, it's so, it seems so natural. And in fact, it seems virtuous to the standard American to save for retirement. It's considered responsible. Um, and yet in the gospel, you know, there's the rich fool with his barns that he's stuffed full. And God says, you fool, this night I require your soul from you. Uh, so it's pretty obvious what God thinks of a saving account. But then on the other hand, there's the harsh reality that those without savings might end up in our society on the street. And um, the the reason I named my uh, website and podcast, The Happy Are You Poor uh, podcast, I'm naming it after a book of the same name by Father Dubay that made a big impression on me, which really laid out, you know, what gospel poverty calls us to and how it's not... Um, it's not a nice add-on, you know, that some Christians can follow if they wish. But then as, you know, our family uh, looked at this and, and you figured, okay, like, how do we be poor? It's like, well, you know, for an individual family, uh, it's just about impossible to be poor unless one does want to end up on the street in a box. And that's when I really started to see this relationship that you're talking about between community and gospel poverty, because without the, with a community, gospel poverty is an attractive thing, a freeing thing, but without uh, a community, gospel poverty is an almost impossible thing. And, and that's what too, when it really started to strike me that unlike in our individualistic society, Christ uh, was coming from a very communal society and he's addressing his commands of the gospel to a group. This is what you, the group, must do. Not, uh, I mean, like it is what every individual must live, whether the group wills it or not. But the way he's aiming at it, he's aiming at a group, and this is how you all must live. And that poverty becomes much more understandable and achievable in that setting. Yeah, it's it's really true. I mean, when you're poor, you need you need one another. And I don't think with gospel poverty is not about abject poverty. Um, it's about being possessionless so that we are not possessed um, by things that don't matter. And to me, gospel poverty is um, a letting go so that one can give more freely, 
Freely we have received, freely we give. It's very difficult to freely give when we are preoccupied with our possessions um, and protecting them and um, whatever. And so there's, it's a gift. You know, a lot of people ask, you know, you know um, is this a requirement of the gospel? And I, I see it as a gift of, of the gospel. And that's why Jesus, you know, he loved the rich young ruler. And he, you know, he was saddened because the rich young ruler turned away. Um, I, I think we don't see the gift of being possessionless. Um, it frees us in so many other ways um, to work for the gospel, frees us to be human. Um, it just takes, um, you know, all the social pressures to live up to certain things. Uh, all that, you know, is, is vanished. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. We have the flesh. I, I can be selfish. I can be envious. I, I could want more than I need. Um, but it sure helps um, in, in the, uh, it, to enable me to pursue the higher things um, that I, I know I want to pursue, even though I'm not always successful in pursuing those. Right. Yeah, and that's uh, one of Father DeBay's uh, lines is that uh, possessing for us fallen human beings always becomes being possessed. Yeah. That in the end, we are possessed by those goods tied down. And and that he was, he put that line in to answer the objection like, well, you know, like I, I can possess things, but like I won't be possessive about them. You know, like I'm detached from all these things I own. But he's saying like that's, given human nature, that's really, really unlikely that very many people will be able to pull that off. But in a community where the community owns, uh, the individuals can um, break free of that. As, as you were saying, you know, like there's nothing good about um, uh, abject poverty or destitution. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, Christ seems to call on us to wipe out destitution wherever we can. Yeah, uh, and it would make sense. Like we're body and, and soul, and if we can't feed our body properly, that isn't going to be good for our uh, spiritual well-being either. But then, if the answer to that is the American one of an individual um, trying to pile up enough for themselves, they'll run directly contrary to those statements in the gospel that we're not supposed to save up and and worry materially. So one of the one of the challenges for a community is um, also the collective wealth of a community. And that same security is, it doesn't go away. Um, and, and in fact, some of the kind of the, the legal ownership isn't necessarily the defining thing in my mind. Um, I might not be, you know, not maybe not everyone would see it that way, but um, you, it's, it's about this love is, is it the love is the essence for this about how you're going to share. And it certainly is also a challenge to us to say, okay, now we live in this community in Denver and, you know, at what, you know, do we also, you know, possess collectively, um, something that, um, is beyond what our needs are. So, 
Yeah, I can see how that would be be difficult too. Obviously, uh, uh, too much much community wealth could also be corrupting. It's happened to communal groups in the past of the church. I guess just like the the question about uh, not becoming you know dependent on mere routine or social pressure to pass on the faith. You know, there is, as you said, there is no perfect uh, solution in this life. That's for sure. Constantly, <laughs> you constantly are seeking, and uh, and um, but you know that's why we need each other. That that can be one of the great blessings of community because when I'm weak, a brother, sister may be strong, and or where I'm blind, they can see. And we can spur one another on it. it says, do not give up uh, or do not forsake, you know, meeting together. Um, it, but instead, in Hebrews, it says, you know, to, to um, examine, consider, um, think about the ways you can spur one another on to love and good deeds as we await the, the coming day of the Lord. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of pride in Christianity today to think that, it's just can be me and God, me and Jesus, and and, um, and we don't really need the spurring on of others. And it's also very selfish. You know, we're, we're not spurring our brothers and sisters on. Um, and so I think one of the, the gifts of community is to keep reminding ourselves of what we're about and reminding ourselves of the priorities that are in Christ. And um, at least I need that reminding um, all the time. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good way to look at community. Uh, I know um, there, there can be this com- this idea, you know, like, uh, oh, you know, Christian community is about, you know, getting together with all the good people. But that's that's a dangerous and kind of flawed way of looking at it because we're all broken. Yep. And better that um, by living with other objectively flawed and, and imperfect beings, we can exercise that mercy and love of God to one another and help to really build one another up in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really important. Um, many groups get formed based on one's demographic or one's kind and the, a living church, a living church community will have, you know, a variety of, of different people and different gifts and different needs and so forth. Um, so that's also the beauty um, uh, because, you know, the one that's not educated has gifts and in, in some ways see things much more clearly than the one who over intellectualizes things. And yet the one who's maybe, you know, uh, had a lot of education um, has things they can bring. Um, but when we're just by ourselves, really, um, or we're in an echo chamber of people just like us, um, we're impoverished. And, and not only are we impoverished, I think we're impoverishing the world. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for sharing all that. As we you know draw to the close of our uh, time here today, is there one concrete takeaway that either of you think would would be good for the listeners to keep in mind from our conversation today? You know, assuming that your listeners are people of faith that are seeking something 
different than the status quo that um, feel um, something new and different has to be given. Um, you know, all I can say is go back to the gospels, go back to the story of God revealed in scripture. What, what is God's overarching plan? And, and it's to reconcile all things to himself. And um, that begins with a surrender um, to the way of Christ and it has to be unconditional, can't be on our terms. And, um, you know, go back to, um, you know, the, the, the gospels and, and ask yourself, am I, am, are we living out? Um, uh, are we visibly demonstrating the reality of God's kingdom? Or is the kingdom of God just um, a theological construct or is it just some reality awaiting the next life um if it's real today now how, you know then uh, what does it mean to live that out um that's where it begins and where am i resistant where where have i uh, been an obstacle to the kingdom where have i sold my soul out to other gods and other narratives that are contrary to the gospel. It starts with me, you know, uh, as well. So that's kind of a big idea, but that's where I think we need to start. And I would just say that anyone who may be listening, um, you know, at least here in Colorado and Denver, elsewhere, come, let us seek together. Um, there must be a new and different way um, and even though we're a part of a community movement that's been around for many years, there's no such thing as expert communitarians and there's no such thing as expert disciples. We're, we're just um, trying to humbly follow Jesus um, and we're looking for people who want to do that together. Um, and you're welcome to seek with us, whatever that might mean. Yeah, thanks so much, both of you, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking time um, with us and your interest, and uh, may God bless um, your efforts to to further the message of the gospel. And um, one day, uh, hopefully, we can meet face to face when uh, it's safe to do so. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. So good talking to you both, and uh, have a great day, and may God bless you. Thank you, Malcolm. Thanks, Malcolm.